afternoon and good evening wherever and whenever you may be and welcome to episode 135 of the Fade to Black podcast. I'm Hannah Flint. And I'm a modern woman. <laughs> Clarice is dead. No, I'm only joking. She's not. She's, 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 she's in purgatory, uh, moving, moving around with hotels and flats. So mm. she sends her apologies. But this week... We still have reviews. We're going to be talking about Anatomy of a Fall, The Killer, and Go Big on the Marvels. Plus, uh, me and Amon get the lowdown with director and co-writer Nia DaCosta and composer Laura Cartman. Plus, in our hot take, I mean, what else are we supposed to talk about? Spoilers. <laughs> We're going to talk about the spoilers in the Captain Marvel sequel. Mm. We n- This podcast was no longer recorded during the 2023 <laughs> SAG After Scrites because it's done. Yay. It's over. We are free. Oh, wow. <laughs> How are you feeling? You were very excited about that. I was very excited. I tweeted out on the day. Do you remember the end of the Matrix Revolutions when Neo sort of, you know, has that fight with Smith and then the guy, the little kid who's a, who's a Neo fanboy sort of runs to where all the Zion people are sort mm. of hiding. And like, the war is over. It's over, Zion. The war is over. That's the energy that I had when I saw yeah. that news. Uh, it was and yet, awesome. the war is not over in Palestine. Yeah, so, true. sorry, I just totally just stole your <laughs> your mojo there. But let's be, it, it's not, we're going to be recording Friday, marching mm. on. We've all signed a letter kind of uh, protesting the... Um, the kind of Western media representation of the journalists who are not, who are being killed in Gaza. We stand in solidarity with them. Mm-hmm. I know we're film critics, but much of our work is about, um, is about films that grapple with real life. Cinema is a reflection of real life. And so I'm really proud of like myself, Amon and Clarice for making sure that we showed our solidarity. So, Absolutely. um, but obviously, we're even more prouder of the journalists on the ground uh, and, you know, continued respect, love and solidarity to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's get cracking, shall we? Let's, um, let's get going. I guess it's time to fall in line <laughs> for our first film, Anatomy of a Fall. I just want you to know one thing. I'm not a monster. I need you to be precise. Tell me everything. Yes. I don't know what happened. I think it fell off the third floor. The window's open. The autopsy report is inconclusive. An accidental fall is going to be hard for us to defend. That's why there's an investigation for a more suspicious death. Because you were the only person there. I don't know what you heard about me. But a bitch can't get a dollar out of me. Sorry, no bitch. I like no poems you can't see. Because I'm a mother P-I-M-P. I love this that you so say funny. bitch, but you don't say motherfucking Steve Rogers. Trying to watch my you'll happily say you'll happily see you'll happily say the gendered bitch, oh but you gosh. won't say motherfucking. I'm on. Mm. Interesting. Someone was certainly oh raised gosh. on naughty's hip hop, <laughs> Dorothy. <laughs> <laughs> the 
Thank you for that, Hannah. Thank you so much. But no, it's so interesting. Um, I watched Anatomy of a Fall the same week that I watched Expand Four Balls. So I got two doses of this song in very quick succession. It was very, very funny. Um, because as we discussed a few weeks ago, uh, when we were discussing that wretched film, um, <laughs> PIMP also uh, appears in that film in the scene, uh, which is quite funny. Mm. Okay, Anatomy of a Fall. Sandra, a German novelist, is accused of killing her husband Samuel at their isolated French cabin. A year later in the courtroom, their relationship is placed under a microscope. This includes their blind adolescent son, Daniel, who found Samuel's body after he seemingly fell from a high window. Or did he? Uh, Directed by Justine Triette from a screenplay co-written by Triette and Arthur Harari. It stars Sandra Huller, Swan Arlo, Milo Mercado Grana, (laughs) Antoine (laughs) Renatz, Samuel Diaz, and Sadia Bentaib. Sorry, your your mouth when you said that, you (laughs) were... (laughs) this is going to see it but it was honestly perfection Uh, just trying to get the viewers what they want and the listeners what they want apologies if i am butchering anybody's name we do work hard to uh, try and mitigate that but inevitably we're going to get it wrong at times um so yeah this film not only did it win the palm palm door it won the palm dog so you know i don't even know if we need to just let's just let that resonate for a second uh two very very coveted awards and i know that there was a bit of a discussion at the time because a lot of people love the zone of interest which i have not seen yet but i've heard amazing things about and were thinking that that would win the palm door and this one instead uh for me it is worthy of that award because i freaking love this and we're, we're going to get into detail but i think Hannah, the first question i want to pose to you is that i've heard I've read this described as lesser who done it and more of who spun it, which I think is very, very apt mm. because for me, it kept me guessing and I was switching sides all the way through and I didn't know if he was murdered or if it was an accident, all the rest of it. So did that ambiguity work on you as well? Uh, yeah. I mean, it all goes back and I bring it up all the time, but it's mm. kind of like Rashomon. There's the truth. And then there's either side of it. And so obviously we see something that happens. We don't see it, but we're just relying on testimony. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and actually you've got kind of, and it is similar in that you've got three people. You've got Mm -hmm. the son, you've got the wife, oh, well, and the husband, but I guess, you know, there's the recording in a Mm -hmm. way that's using evidence. Um, I um, really enjoy this thing. And to be honest though, maybe it's the feminist in me, but I was with my girl, Sandra, all the way through. (laughs) Interesting. But, but I think what I like about it, and I, in a way, it kind of reminded me of another film we saw, San Omer, early yes. this year. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just an all a matter perspective. You're right, it's all about spin. It's about, um, yeah, how, how everything can just be taken out of context. Mm-hmm. And when you apply things, and I think that's such a, it, it's such an interesting concept and one that they really managed to kind of maintain in such a intriguing pacey way without without getting into the kind of um melodrama you know it's not like it's not like a few good men i want the truth you can't handle the truth and i and i and i like that kind of slight mundanity of proceedings i mean i always find it really interesting we're so used to american courts british 
British courts. Mm -hmm. But then seeing the French court, it's mm. such a different experience. I found it really intriguing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that point about the French courts is so on point. Um, and I really enjoyed, I mean, this is a very, there's a lot of very serious stuff happening in this film, as you might expect. But I feel like, especially with the courtroom scenes, with the way the prosecutor speaks sometimes, and even with just the asides and the looks that the judge gives at times, there's a nice bit of levity to it as well, which helped make it go down easier. We should make this, this is like a two, this is a, maybe even a three hour film. I know it's quite long. But oh no, I, it's in the three hours. I'm pretty okay, sure I, it's like two. Okay, maybe, maybe two and a half. But I, because I, I remember that was one of the things that somebody told me as I was at the screening before it started. Um, but I, the, the the time went really sort of fast for me. I did. I barely looked at my watch. I was engrossed. Two hours in the story. thirty. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there you go. I thought it was like two hours. I was like, yeah. this is pretty great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, can you sp I speak more about that French courtroom and how it differs from what we've seen from American stuff? Because I feel like with the with the prosecutor, especially, he is really going for it with the circumstantial evidence. And especially when they're tying, when, when it comes to an issue of uh, uh, the novel and who sort of stole maybe what ideas and whether the ideas that Sandra Hula's character has taken and, and, and how that fits into sort of the real life, that was sort of so fascinating to me. And I really loved the dynamic between the two the, the, was the prosecutor and the defense especially when it came to that issue yeah um I think I think what's intriguing I, I mean the French court system like the way the the witness can counter yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like I, I was like excuse me what <laughs> oh, I can't believe they were able to do that and um yeah I think it it's interesting as well because um it's 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 she's um I think the characterization is what I really, I suppose, related to it is that this is a woman who is unapologetic, assertive. Mm -hmm. She's bisexual. Um, uh, she is confident. She doesn't conform to the idea of what, you know, even the way she's dressed, she's got a quite androgynous look to her. Mm -hmm. um, she doesn't conform to society's expectations of what a dutiful wife should be. And mm -hmm. I think it's certainly interesting, the dynamic when you do the same career to do the same job and kind of what you sacrifice. And in a way, I think it was, it's just so palpable the way that, you know, she's presented as mm -hmm. a sort of femme fatale, um, mm -hmm. And actually, and and again, it's in the in the you know it, it it's in the retelling of this story. It's taking little bits, but the assumptions they're trying to fill in the gaps, and it's so much easier to create this narrative. I mean, it's all in a way. What's so interesting is that she it's what they're creating is a fiction in the courtroom because they don't actually have the evidence and yet they're trying to use her fiction as fact. So I found that kind of like in like layer of the storytelling really intriguing. Um, I, I, you know, again, like just the idea like she's punished for mm. being successful. They could mm -hmm. use that. I think I brought, and I certainly, you know, for me, it's interesting because, um, Again, like I, you know, as a writer, as an author, and like writing, you know, fiction as well. It's so I found it maybe, maybe I enjoyed it a little bit. I'm sure everyone will, but there's something interesting about when you use your own life aspects from your own lives. And there's a question of like, you know, a lot of people think that something that is so personal 
is true, you mm. know, and it's actually could be like, no, that's a fictitious character. Mm. There might be elements, but it's building upon that. So I think it's a really good comment on like mm. storytelling and where we get our ideas from. And like, you know, just because you know, I think it was a great line in it is like, is Stephen Killer a serial killer? <laughs> you know, yeah. Stephen King a serial killer. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's the kind of ridiculousness of using that kind of argument. But yet this is the thing about juries, you know, you just, you have to convince them. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, what's in a way like lawyers, barristers and those prosecutors, defense, defense attorneys, they are actors, they're performers themselves. They have to sell. Um, so again, this real like intertextuality of these like different performance in different ways, I really, really worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. And what you're saying about, uh, Sandra not conforming to sort of feminine norms, that just adds to the ambiguity of everything that we see in a really, really cool way, because at times it feels like, you know, is she, she playing us? She's crying at a certain time. What does that mean? For the truth of the story, what does that mean for her relationship with her 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 defense lawyer? Why is she doing it at that time? Why do we need to see it? There's all these fascinating questions and how it relates to the truth that mm. always just kept me guessing, and I love that. Yeah. Um. To that point, the performance, the lead performance here is just phenomenal. There's so many different emotions that she flits through at times in a very short amount of time. And at times it's incredible because she's talking about very deep personal stuff, but because she's, again, this adds to the ambiguity of it all. At times it's like, there's not that emotion that you would expect from the stuff that she's saying going across her face. And that again, it's just amazing, amazing acting. And I think that's also kind of goes towards like German people are not particularly mm. emotional people. Mm. <laughs> so that, and I, I thought that was interesting. But I also think it's also in the, what uh, the director chooses to show us at certain moments. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this whole conversation about this recording, like that, that kind of shifted the, shifted the kind of, um, uh, gave the prosecution mm-hmm. a little bit more am- ammunition to fire at her. Mm-hmm. And then how we end up see that instead of just hearing the recording, we then go back in time and see it. Mm-hmm. But then when it cuts back out and there's a certain moment, you don't. And I think that is really clever storytelling as well. It speaks to the ambiguity of it. Um, I will say this one thing about it that I think... Um, could have been established a little better was the time the difference in time between the the courtroom saga and then um uh, the events of that i did i miss a title card that said there was a time shift because i couldn't really tell how long in front it had been i don't think there was a title card but i do remember a line of dialogue that indicated that a year had passed between right the events and the court sorry yeah okay maybe i just missed that bit um but yeah i mean and she's great um milo mercado grena is fantastic yeah i'm a huge fan of um antoine reals because he was Mm -hmm. in um this really good movie called arthur rambo um which is about uh he plays like it's it's interesting it's another kind of like author related um (laughs) uh film about uh, a French Moroccan author who basically 
who's just you know done his debut book and he suddenly gets cancelled because of old kind of extremely inappropriate jokes or that he tweeted and then he plays one of the white publishers he was also in Faisal Belifa's um The Damn Don't Cry do you remember that film and he played the kind of French expat colon who would like you know bought a house uh in Morocco and uh yeah he yeah, it was, he's very good in that as well but this is a very change of pace for him and he was so he was so good and charismatic and just yeah I I I think I've said it before on the podcast I just love legal dramas and thrillers it just like I told you when I was watching Oppenheim I was like yes we've got like two interrogations going on it's amazing so yeah 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 my bag as well okay uh let's wrap this one up and that's me before uh screen stream or skip the palm door and palm dog winner Hannah flip won't say screen and i also say screen if you thought this film had a good dog wait until we discuss our next film david finch's the killer this is what it takes My process is purely logistical. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a For what it's worth, I would never have involved your female friend. I was happy in the haze of a yogi hour, but heaven knows I'm miserable now. I was looking for a hit job, and then I found a hit job, and heaven knows I'm miserable now in my life. Why do I give valuable time to people who don't care if I live or die? Ah, <laughs> oh, here we go. The killer is about a contract killer and the methodology of that world and what he does. Solitary, cold, methodical, and unencumbered by scruples or regrets, a killer waits in the shadows, watching for his next target. Yet, the longer he waits, the more he thinks he's losing his mind, if not his call. Now, that was a very vague <laughs> synopsis. So let's just give a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. A killer misses his mark, and then there's he's suddenly the people who he worked for want to clean up the job, mm-hmm. and they mess with the wrong killer who goes out to find them. That's Correct. basically what it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, directed by David Fincher from a screenplay by Andrew Kevin Walker. It is based on the French graphic novel series of the same name written by Alexis Matznolon and illustrated by Luc Jacquemont. The film stars Michael Fassbender. He's back, baby. <laughs> alongside Arliss Howard, Charles Parnell, Kerry O'Malley, Salah Baker, Sophie Charlotte and Tilda Swinton. So, um... Hmm. Okay. So, how do you? I suppose one thing I want to know is like, what's your favorite Fincher? Mm, seven. Mm, mm, I think mine might actually be Fight Club. I think it's Ooh, so good, even though the incels. I just think that film's amazing. I, mm. I know people are like, oh god, Fight Club, but I'm also not like a white dude bro who has like Tyler Durden on my wall. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, did know that was someone else. I was thinking it was someone else. Um, but I did not like Mank. I was Me not a fan of that boring. film at all. Boring. Um, but this one's interesting. So, I mean, look, the hitman getting revenge for someone who attacks someone he loves. 
It's a tale as old as time. <laughs> um, how, what, do you, what do you think worked to make this differentiate it from that sort of thing we've seen before? Well, it's the killer himself um, and his very sort of cold demeanor, the way that he looks at the world, the things that he's repeating ad nauseum in this film. Uh, that, I think, makes him a different type of uh, sort of guy out for revenge uh, who has a particular set of skills um, than what we've seen from this genre before, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I do, um, it, I mean, we're talking about, this definitely feels like a Fincher movie, though I found... Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's moments of it where it reminded me of like more Soderbergh in this way it's shot, just in the sense of the quite um, undersaturated world. Everything is quite grim reality, but not in a sense that like Fight Club, it felt dirty, that world. It felt mm-hmm. like you you felt like you needed to wash yourself after watching that movie. Whereas mm-hmm. this, again, that in that kind of clinical sense. Um, I also found that... Um, yeah, and obviously Fight Club has that narration too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, actually that voiceover reminded me far more of like American Psycho and the Patrick mm-hmm. Bateman of it all, the kind of mundanity of his routine. But then I did quite like, I don't know, I think Michael Fassbender is perfect for this because he does look like someone who would be an assassin. Mm. He does look, he looks dead behind his eyes a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And he is that kind of, that's why he was quite really good in Prometheus as the kind of android. Mm -hmm. He, he does give, he does give good, like robotic, you know, kind of like not really a human person Mm -hmm. vibes. Mm -hmm. I think my only thing about, um, I did find it less absorbing Mm -hmm. and maybe that's because it was such a, the repetition of it, mm. the kind of sourceless kind of guy. It's just quite obvious. Like, I think I knew what was going to, like, the way it went. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you think the, you know, again, and also, you know, I think <laughs> there was one thing about, okay, so there's something about it that I hate it. This kind of his, you know, I think it's pretty established pretty early on. He's mm-hmm. got, a, he's got a girl and she gets beat. She gets, ends up in, being, mm-hmm. you know, hurt. And it's like, okay that spurs him into action to take out the people who did it, right? Which mm-hmm. is like such a basic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, someone, a woman gets killed in the very beginning. Like I, I do, I was interesting. To, I don't know how you felt like felt about the kind of setup to that. It just felt like not yeah. really that interesting and just quite frustrating because I don't, you know, there was some interesting female characters, but none of them really get, I don't know. I don't want to spoil anything, but there is actually not, I mean, maybe Tilda Swindon has a good scene, mm-hmm. but it's um, just a white dude going around killing people out of yeah. vengeance, which yeah. I find a bit. Meh. Yeah. I'm right with you on this. I was surprised that this didn't work for me as much as I wanted it to, because I remember watching the trailer for this and I know the trailer's on like a two-minute snapshot and edited and all the rest of it, but there was such a sense of propulsion to it <laughs> and I thought that I was going to get a similar type of deal in watching the full film. 
And for me, even though I get to an extent what they were going for here, it j- was just too dull too often. Because, and also this, the, 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 it's, it's strange for me because it's actually a lot about this character and this theme that could have been interesting because this is a killer who has become so good at what he does by cutting himself off from emotion, who I think slowly gets a little bit more emotional as he goes after the people that came for him. And the mantra that he is sort of spouting all the way, all the way through, all the way through, all the way through, if you know uh, that he, he starts cutting himself off before we can get the full spiel uh, as the film progresses. And that that's interesting. I just, yeah, it was too dull too often. I feel like there is a more comedic bent they could have put on this that they don't really do because it just comes off as dry. And while I agree with you in that Fazbender is great uh, and he puts in a good performance here, I also feel like this isn't the best use of Fazbender because I've seen him in other things and the guy is a charismatic dude when he wants to be. And because mm-hmm. of, by virtue of the way of the character he's playing here, he has to sort of tamp down on a lot of that. To, to portray this guy as Venture wants him to. And it's a really good mm. performance in that way. But it also You kind of that- want the other characters to be a bit more, because he's so tightly wound and, mm-hmm. you know, emotionless, you kind of want the other characters to be a little bit more um, gaudy, like a bit yeah. more something going on. A, mm-hmm. You know, in a way, the kind of like a John Wick situation. Because yeah. mm-hmm. Keanu, I mean, but that's maybe what I was trying to avoid, but John Wick obviously is quite a chill dude <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> despite what he's doing he's very like laid back and mm-hmm. then you have all these like ridiculous personalities that he ends up fight facing off again you know caricatures mm-hmm. and i maybe but then i suppose now i wonder i wonder if there's things about it that you kind of that i will say so there's a few things i did enjoy there was a real sense of humor in the visual storytelling but also like you know as you said it's this guy who's cuts himself off to emotion but he's obs- he listens to the smiths the most emotional band <laughs> sad boy band like i was happy now you're so drunker now now i'm having i'm so miserable now like all these mm. songs meat is murder all these things it's like i mean maybe that's what it was he got radicalized by the smiths and suddenly <laughs> was like oh i do have feelings now um and i also thought it was one thing i did really like about it is how much this is a very modern present film in that everything that he's able to do is something you could do yeah. in real life. It's not mm-hmm. about, I have all these gadgets. It's more, I ordered something on Amazon and picked it up at Lockbox. It's, yeah. I joined a gym and I can use my use my thing. I can I can order Just Eat and go in or whatever. You know, little things mm-hmm. like this that, was, that made it um, really present and centered now mm-hmm. where you know, that sort of reality and that kind of uh, the realisticness, I suppose. Is that, mm-hmm. is that a word? I it thought that was quite, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was really good. Um, it is also an action film. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say the one really big action sequence we get was sensational. Yes. Talk to me. I'm on. <laughs> yeah. No, fully, fully agree. Um, I liked the sort of different directions it took. It felt unexpected. It felt hard hitting. It felt like you could see a lot of the choreography that went into it and the way it was resolved. Like I didn't see, even though you kind of have an idea of who might sort of come away, walk away from the fight, I didn't see exactly how it was going to resolve at any point. During, during the actual sort of sequence. Um, so yeah, for me, that, that was easily the high point of this film. Mm. That was one of the high points, actually, because I do feel, 
the first 20 minutes of this are actually pretty damn good. And I actually, you know, had a reaction. You know, we, 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 set, we set this up in the premise so we can say when he misses his mark. That That is so... I didn't see that coming. <laughs> and the sort of sequence that follows immediately after that as he sort of, uh, you know, exfils from his location mm. and all the rest of it is really, really cool and really, really well done. Um, so it's only after that first 20 minutes that things slowly go down a little bit downhill for me. Mm. I really want to talk about the sound because what I re- there was a really interesting element to it where you know when you're looking with his eyes because where the shot is of his like he's in close-up of his face and -hmm. he's got his headphones in you hear the muffled headphones but then you hear the muffled music and then when he's actually looking where you're looking you're like you hear the music Mm -hmm. and that was continued in these kind of real like um do you ever like when you know when you touch your face and you have this sound of like you know in your ears you can hear it you can you hear outside but you hear it internally Mm -hmm. there's this kind of internal sound design that's going on that Mm -hmm. is kind of like you're when you're in his head Mm -hmm. feeling these things um and and i found that especially potent during the fight sequence if you go back and listen to it you'll hear all these kind of like "Mm -mm." like it was it was really really well done i thought that and also you know the fight sequence i thought excellently choreographed you felt Mm -hmm. it it was brutal um really kind of invented i love a fight sequence where it's like close but it kind of actually look, a little bit reminded me of haywire uh yes. of Steven but it reminded yeah. me of his fight sequence with gina carano and Hay- yeah. haywire um which was is an excellent fight sequence yeah. um and i don't know there's also quite i quite like the idea of like i i don't want to give it away maybe i'll save this for after but mm-hmm. i'll tell you afterwards but um mm-hmm the kind of order in how people got killed. If you look at the kill count, <laughs> yeah. seeing how that changed, mm-hmm. the more he killed and the closer he got to the top, mm-hmm. that was really kind of spot on mm-hmm. in a way. Cause at first I was like, why are they killing all these people? This is so annoying. And then I was like, oh, this is actually representative of kind of like the social hierarchy, mm-hmm. economy, the world who's the who's the most powerful so i thought that was like really interesting although i do feel like at the end it was a cop-out hannah are you saying that the hierarchy of power in the assassin universe is about to change no exactly not (laughs) because if you watch the film it maintains (laughs) no no anytime you mention that word that is hierarchy Did we we not suffered enough? Um, Yeah, cool. Okay, well, this is... I don't know if it's in cinemas anymore, but it's certainly on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you going for a stream or skip? I'm going for a stream. I just expected and wanted more, given that this is a David Fincher joint. Um, This 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 will not rank highly on that ranking list, should I ever do one. Mm. Yeah, I think I'm going to say stream, but... This is, uh, uh, I don't think it's going to knock your socks off. Anyway, (laughs) from the killer to the annihilator, (laughs) this is the Marvels. Captain Marvel, the annihilator. You took everything from me. And now I'm returning the favor.
disentangled our light-based powers. So we switch places whenever we use them. If you want to battle your Indian now, coming from Uranus to check my style, go ahead, put my rhymes on trial, cast you off into exile, intergalactic, planetary, planetary, <laughs> intergalactic, intergalactic, planetary, planetary, intergalactic. <laughs> That's my terrible Beastie Boys rapping. <laughs> Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, has reclaimed her identity from the tyrannical Kree and taken revenge on the supreme intelligence. However, unintended consequences sees her shouldering the burden of a destabilized universe. When her duties send her to an anomalous wormhole linked to a Kree revolutionary, her powers become entangled with two other superheroes to form the Marvels. The film is directed by Nia DaCosta, who co-wrote the screenplay with Megan McDonnell and Alyssa Karasik. It stars Brie Larson, Tiana Paris, and Iman Valani, alongside Zari Ashton, Park Si Jun, and Samuel L. Jackson. Okay, so, um, the MCU's tied itself in a knot a bit. Um, so, and also I think we should mention, this film, <laughs> before it's even been released, before anyone's even seen it, it's been battered mm -hmm. i do think this is part of the hangover from the original film where people just hated it and brie Lar people hate brie larson there are a lot of people hated it that way mm -hmm. i find the narrative around near de costa's um you know taking a time starting a new film it's been really it's i don't mm -hmm. think it's a coincidence that the first black female director had to direct a movie gets this much hate and i don't think it's surprising that the marvels the captain marvel sequels is already kind of earning such more a certain chagrin from so many people but mm -hmm. Mon, is the MCU back, baby? <laughs> I think it is. Honestly, this is, this is a great day for the MCU. Between the release of this film, and we're about to get into why I think we both liked it, plus the finale, season two finale of Loki, which for my money is the best episode. It's the best MCU Disney Plus episode to date, in my opinion. I absolutely loved it. Um, this is a really, really great day for the MCU. It's also cool in that <laughs> uh, Zowie Ashton, who stars in the Marvels, and Tom Hiddleston, who's obviously Loki, are obviously in a relationship. And yeah, power couple uh, doing the thing for Marvel. Awesome. Um, but yeah, as you say, there's a lot of people who are very, very, very desperate to help the MCU come to an end, shall we say, and to dance on the MCU's grave um, because they're going through a bit of a rough patch. And it's just, it's very evident at this point and it's very, very sad and it's very, very bothersome. One of the things that are so hyperbolically negative to the point where, in my mind, that's just objectively untrue. There's things which I've read that this is like, you know, a new low for the MCU. The fact that you can say that when Secret Invasion was... Too much removed is insane to me. There's, there's been reviews. There's one review I've read for this in the New York Post that gave the Marvels zero stars. And it's just nonsense. It's just nonsense. I can understand if you're a bit negative on this film and if you are, if you reason and, and if, if you articulate those reasons in an interesting way, I might even agree with some of them. But when I hear things like, zero stars and worst thing in the mcu ever it just makes me roll my eyes because i think those are ridiculous statements because i don't think the marvels as divisive as i've seen that it's been i don't think it's worthy of that type of rhetoric um so. yeah 
Agreed. Well, before we get into our review, uh, I spoke to Nia DaCosta. Uh, this is the fifth time I've spoke to this shit. It's actually, <laughs> I love it. We're like super besties. We're twins, twinning. Uh, no, we're not. She's a very sexual, sex, sexual. <laughs> she's <Hey. laughs> she, she, actually, actually, she is a very sexy director and she's a very yes. sexy, successful. I can't stop saying sexy. <laughs> Oh my God, I'm flushing. Uh, she is a number. very successful and sexy. I do have a number. <laughs> uh, anyway, okay, sorry. Can we look? Okay. So I spoke to Nia. <laughs> Here's my interview with Nia DaCosta. Nia, welcome to the Fade to Black podcast. Um, yeah, it feels good to chat to you. I feel like this is it now. Like every few weeks <laughs> yeah, we do it. Yeah. Um, I've spoken so much about it now, but mm. I, I kind of want to ask, like, how are you feeling mm. right now? Yeah. A week to week or so to go. Yeah, week and a half or something. Yeah, I feel good. I'm really ready for the movie to come out. Um, I'm excited for people to see it, and yeah, it's time. Yeah, you're like, yeah. and I can move on with my life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's really like when, after I make a movie, I'm like all of this stuff is like extra and it's fun it's nice to kind of have like a sort of ritual and ceremony around like letting it go mm. release um, but mostly I'm just moving on to the next project or re- vacation <laughs> but usually the next project um, and that's what I'm looking forward to now um, so I want to go back to kind of the beginning because mm. I'm really interested in hearing certain people talk about like the pitch that they do that big mm. pitch that, mm-hmm. so can you tell me a little bit about what your pitch yeah. was yeah. did you have like 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 a PowerPoint presentation? Mm-hmm. Did you have a book? Like, what was it? Um, so, excuse me, <laughs> just had lunch. Um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I always do a very, very exhaustive pitch because I really want to be very clear about what my vision is. And if I don't have a vision for something, I won't pitch. Um, so up until I figured out what I could potentially do with the film, I really wasn't going to, bitch on it or mm. even have a conversation about it because I was like, well, if I don't feel it, then it doesn't, doesn't matter. Um, but I think once they told me more about these three women being in the film together and it being about their relationship, I was like, oh, I can actually hang on to this. And, and there were some amazing set pieces that they wanted to do. And I was like, oh, that's really fun. It's in space. And I love space. So it was all just like very, it was great. So, um, so my pitch, I usually go through like just visually and thematically what I, what I think is important. And so, um, with, with the three women, I start there and just talking about how I see them, how I see their, their relationships developing throughout the film, the themes that I saw and what they sent me and, and how I would like kind of amplify them if I could. Um, and then visually, like I literally talk about like camera and lenses and colors. I like, kind of go into everything that I, that I think that's sort of my initial instinct mm. for 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 the project what were those some mm. of those things that are like mm. we it's like a scrapbook of things like rip this out or like um Pinterest kind of boards. yeah it's, it's it's a keynote i usually do when i go slide by slide and i'll have i'll talk about sound design i'll talk about score um you know um i'm trying to think oh like i've been mentioning this a lot but uh there are a couple scenes from advent children final fantasy seven advent children that i that i um that i pulled because i was just like this is astounding filmmaking and i think we can draw some of what makes us special into this movie um, there are a couple of sequences that are no longer in the film that I was like, ooh, this would be cool if we did like this. And so I, I pulled things for that. Um, yeah, I just, um, I really just want to give a, a visual sense of what 
what I think makes sense and what I want to do. And we've like talked a lot about and you've spoken a lot about the kind of um, working within mm. like Marvel, but also retaining your own kind of voice. Mm. And I suppose, can you tell me a little bit more about like the writer's room, like kind of mm. kind of like really hashing it out and kind of working mm. out what fits and make it seamless so that you get the story while right. also feeding into this happened yeah. over here and now we're about to do this here so make sure it all connects please yeah it's I mean it's also room and more like you know the writers and and my exec and myself and and uh, and just like passing drafts back and forth and also just like you just get a constant stream of information about what's happening mm-hmm. what's changed oh actually you know they want to do this not this and, and now and like so it's a lot of feed in, like um like feedback you're getting and they're like okay let's keep molding it to figure out what it's going to at the end of the day be the movie that they want to see um and uh it's an interesting way of working it's not the way I would work on anything else but because of, of what it is that's kind of the way they found works best for them um and so you just slip into the process and sort of go with the current yeah, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, because um, you love the comic books as well, mm-hmm. but like the Marvel method mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. Um, I was wondering, like, I suppose, again, going to the comic books and stuff, mm. and you, you know, there's a few things that you've kind of mentioned before, like, mm. were the things that was feeding, like, feeding into the kind of storylines? Mm. Is there specific issues, like, things that mm. people should check out? Even, oh, even yeah. not even really to that, but like, yeah. things that were kind of like, I don't know, like, spiritually influencing mm. the way yeah. you wanted to tell a story from the comics? Um, with Carol, a lot of the characterization that I wanted to get into the film was around Kelly Sudaconic's run, because she really took her from being Miss Marvel to Captain Marvel, mm. and a lot of her run was about, like, Carol, there's one really great run where it's about her, like, literally choosing to be Captain Marvel, because like, she, like, she gets stuck in, like, a time loop, and she can actually change her fate. She can actually be, be a normal person and not ever get into the accident. Um, she had another great one where, you know, a big thing with Captain Marvel, it's like she's so powerful. How do you give her a problem she can't punch? Mm-hmm. And that's something that we want to do in this movie. And and it's a really great Kelly Sue DeConnick run where she literally gets like, again, oh, actually it's the same one. She gets stuck in time. So she's like, I can't punch time. Like, you know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I have to figure out how to get myself out of here. Um, and there's just like great stuff about her, just how she feels about what she does and who she is and and agency around that, and I think that's just kind of what appealed to me about Carol as a character and what I wanted to put into the film. Mm. And, of course, you're kind of balancing three heroes. Mm-hmm. I, I was so interested, I was reading this interview recently with David Fincher and about how apparently he pitched, like, did you see this? Where he was, like, Spider-Man, yeah. Spider-Man was like, adult. I don't want to do origin stories. Yeah. Like, that's boring. And it's a really interesting conversation to have mm-hmm. right now and, like, you've come in and you don't have to do that, but you're kind of doing mm-hmm. something with... With Monica because she's getting used to it. Yeah, so I yeah. suppose like how is how does that you find that writing story where it's like I kind of mm. need to do something that serves this person who's like yeah. coming in, but also you don't want to get into the convention, right? The convention yeah. of that sort of story. Yeah, yeah. Also, because she we saw her get her powers. We met her in WandaVision, and and I mean I'm much more intense about it. Where I'm just like, they don't need to know anything besides what we're telling them in this movie don't worry about it, it doesn't mm. matter. And I think there's needs to be maybe a bit more balance where it's like, no, let's give them something that, you know, that we haven't seen before. Maybe they need to see how Carol got her powers and they got her, and Kamala got her powers. And But for me, I'm just like, it's been, what, 18 years of Marvel or 15 years mm. of Marvel, like the MCU specifically, decades upon decades of origin stories and this world getting more and more complicated of just like superheroes in general. I don't think people are confused about when people have powers in movies anymore. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Little, it's just like, oh, yeah, they have powers, cool. And that's sort of the energy I wanted to come into this one, where yeah. you're just like, this is the world we live in. Um, and in that respect, it's kind of, for me at least, it's it's kind of easier. But at the same time, 
you want to also make sure that they each have development throughout the film. Mm. They each have a specific sort of drive that that's being that's being answered, a question that's being answered, um, and a change that's happening for all of them. So it is a balance, and it's and it's a lot of trial and error. And there's also it's an interesting conversation about like again, there's such. There's so many films. And imagine mm-hmm. if you're, like, coming to this as, like, I have never watched anything. Mm-hmm. I don't know who these people are. But, like, there yeah. are people who have never seen it. So yeah, is yeah. it something about when you're writing it, okay, how do I also write this so that you could have never watched any Marvel yeah. movie before, but I can still... Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when it's, like, the, the Star Wars stuff, mm-hmm. it's quite difficult. Like, Ahsoka, it's quite difficult to kind of... Yeah. If you came in, people might not understand, like, who's, yeah. who's Thrawn? Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, all these yeah. things. Was that kind of another thing that you had to kind of think about? Um, yeah, for sure. You really... <laughs> Um, I mean, it, but it's funny because you, you you just because it's really the point is to please as many people as possible, frankly, and you have to balance your own sensibilities. Like each of us, like myself, Mary, Kevin, like the actors, we we all have our different sensibilities about what we would want to see and how much information we need. Mm. Um, I lean towards more of the like it's it's as obvious <laughs> you know it's fine mm. we don't have to go too much explanation, and sometimes we do that and people are like what and then we put more information and everyone was like, oh, it was so boring hearing all this stuff. So it's like, yeah. you know, you have this like feedback and this, um, again, trial and error of it all. Um, but it's just, it's just the way it is when you, when you build out a literal cinematic universe. It's like, you know, pre-Endgame, you have very simple structure. Yeah. You have five characters, they each get movies and then they get together and it's the Avengers. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. It's very simple. It's not that much to watch. And then you start doing more movies every year and you start doing TV shows and, and then you get to a point where you're doing this team up, which is so exciting. And also there's 15 years of history mm. that you have to answer to, not just for these three, but for Sam Jackson's uh, Nick Fury as well. So, And for Goose, the cat. So um, I'm sorry, Flurkin. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, so it's really just, right I know. I also corrected you. someone earlier today, so I'm just <laughs> all over the place. But um, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's a very unique way of making a film, but it's just about like, figuring out this like very specific and new way of uh, telling a story. Um, you mentioned Samuel L. Jackson. It's mm. like, I feel like he's like every, maybe every director's dream person mm-hmm. to like have mm-hmm. yeah. to work with. Yeah. How was it kind of, you know, iconic dude? Like It was amazing. I love him. He's He was so wonderful. He's so generous, so kind, like so, such a team player, like really... It was like really there for the cast as well, like, um, and I think he understands who he is and like how he, you know, he's an icon, you know, like, and you hear him talk, you know, he understands that, you know, but um, he was great. I had the best. I do it again in a heartbeat. Worked with him. I think as well because like Nick Fury is such a this iteration is so much influenced by Samuel, like even in the comic books, like when Mark Miller like, like yeah, did it, like that literally thing. was him. He yeah. is him. So yeah. it's kind of like when you were doing things, is there definitely a sense of his ownership of that character instead of just how it doing it? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean. Um, but he's very open as well, so he'd be like, oh, how about this or this? What do you think? You know, it's like, it's it's not like a, it wasn't ever like, a, I'm doing this, good luck. You know, it was mm. very, it was very collaborative. But I also was so relieved because I could trust in what he was doing and know that he, not just because he's played it for so long, but that's just how Sam approaches the work. He's He knows who the character is inside out. He knows his lines. He's ready. He's like, he's great in rehearsal. He's like, he consummate professional basically and so like you can trust that he's going to do the best for the character mm. yeah. so one of the big things uh, about the kind of Marvel easter eggs well there's a Star mm. Wars one with like everyone gets their arm chopped off in every movie that's Kevin Feige's thing oh that's right? funny but I remember when we spoke about uh, Candyman and you were like 
Oh, the Jurassic Park reference. Oh, right. Like, must go faster. Yeah, must go faster. Now, I bring this up because I was watching the latest episode of Loki, and they've uh-huh. also got a Jurassic Park. You know that? Uh, uh, uh. Oh, they you know do. That that's thing? fun. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, have you, word, yeah. have you put any specific references in this? Like, is there a Jurassic Park something somewhere? No, there's no Jurassic Park, I think. But honestly, it ends up in everything I do. Kind of. <laughs> there are some fun, like, pop culture things in here that I don't think are in the 21st 20 minutes, so I'll... I'll leave for you to see when you watch it. Okay, I did yeah. appreciate the Crocs though. Mm-hmm. That's one has three. Pairs. Well, those are Breeze Crocs, and she was, <laughs> she came to set for like for rehearsal. And I was like, "You're wearing those." Yes. Because I was so obsessed with like, you always see the superhero like fully kitted out. Like I wanted to see like you know half on half off. Like what is she? Like how is she in her own space? What is she like when she's at home? Yeah. So that was uh, that was big. Um, there were. I want to talk about. You had to do the reshoots. Like, how much did that kind of change the original from what you'd already done? And why? Mm-hmm. I suppose for you, what did was it kind of a sense of like test, like screening it and working out something to fix? What was the biggest Mm-mm. thing for you that you needed to kind of change? Um, so it was so funny coming into it. That's just part of the process, and mm-hmm. that's how they make the movies, yeah. um, which you know is interesting and and definitely like something that as an independent filmmaker you don't get reshoots. You like you like that script is perfect. You have to get it on the day. If you don't get it, you're done. Um, sometimes you can get a reshoot, if, but usually you don't have the money. So for me, it's like I like it's the, almost the opposite. It's like you have to be so like every step of the way, like you're done, 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 done. And then here they're like, oh yeah, no, because because of the way things shift and change, because it's mass market, like five quadrant, I think they call it. Like they've just found this other way of working. So it's just sort of a part of the process mm. at the end of the day. Um, yeah. Is there a kind of line or a moment, and I suppose it's for this, but like this might probably come out after the movie comes out, but like uh-huh. is there any one that particularly you like the improv or mm-hmm. a line that you threw in or something that kind of worked and it just felt like, oh, there's me. Oh, me. As in like it felt like, <laughs> oh, there's oh. some there's some double dutch in the movie, which is really fun. We were just, yeah. we're doing, there's a little part in the movie where they're practicing how to use their powers and and they start doing double dutch and switching while they do double dutch. So that was uh, that was really fun. Um, I, so the first 20 minutes, the opening fight sequence, uh, well, the fight sequence that we see in it, yeah. I adored. Yeah. Um, just the editing on that, like yeah. the moves. Some mm. of the moves are just like, ugh, sick. Yeah. Um, we spoke a little bit about how um, uh, James Bond was an influence mm, on yeah, kind of yeah. the different fighting stars. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about putting that scene, like that sequence together and like, yeah. again, that kind of influence working with your fight choreographer? For sure, yeah. So... James Bond was something I actually mentioned in my pitch because I was like, well, I think Carol is sort of like, Carol in this movie is sort of like James Bond in Casino Royale. He was literally a different person in the last film uh, that we saw him in because it was Pierce Brosnan. But like stylistically and where he is as a character is completely different. And because we haven't seen Carol really, except for Avengers, for 30 years since the first film, we get to, um, we get to, we get a chance to really like, built her out as a person and so that was one thing and then also at the beginning of Casino Royale there's a great scene where you see how sloppy James Bond is compared to this like kind of parkour genius mm. that he's chasing after and I was like oh that's funny because I think Brie or Carol is sort of that um, sloppy like you know because she, she's physically stronger than anyone mm. so she's not going to be very precise but she's very like you know brute force and then you have Miss um, Marvel who's like you know with her light platforms is kind of like parkour genius so I was like oh that's kind of a fun it's fun to be able to show the difference in the fight style so in that fight scene that you're talking about that also includes switching and everything you really get to see them not just them their individual styles of fighting 
Um, in particular for Monica, she's learning how to fight mm -hmm. with powers. Um, you also see them falter because of the switching. So it just really sets the stage for um, how they're going to grow throughout the film. Yeah, and I have to say, Kamala's mom protecting Amazing. that moment. I was like, mm -hmm. this is my movie. Yeah. It was the opposite. It was so funny. Um, uh, Zenobia, who plays Maniba, was like, uh, we were like, okay, and then and then Mohan will come and um, protect you, or Yusuf in the, in the, in the show. And she was like, that's not how we would, I, it would be the opposite. Yes. And we were like, okay, girl. <laughs> and, so, and then, yeah, so that's how that happened. Oh, I loved it. It was yeah. like so perfect for the film. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to see the full one. So good luck. And I um, can't wait for Hedda. So. Oh, yeah, me too. I'm like, hello. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Let's get this done with, guys. Oh, right. Well, you know, as Nia told me, the kind of there is a, there is a difficulty joining, uh, you know, getting into the kind of Marvel industrial complex, especially when you've got set like an A and a B to get to and you've got a very small part like play, uh, playground to play in mm. um so I, I personally i actually found it uh to be refreshingly a simple story that mm -hmm. was very easy to follow mm -hmm. uh and um and certainly because we don't have to do origin stories for each of the characters um even if you haven't seen miss marvel or wandavision i think they did a really good job in kind of giving you that backstory and exposition without it being so heavy-handed mm. uh and i think you're you know someone who loved uh spider-verse i think you you would appreciate the opening uh of introduction of miss marvel so amon tell me what you think about the kind of yeah the the very story that we're dealing with and how it handled weaving the connecting the threads yeah I completely agree with you, first of all, on that opening introduction to Miss Marvel. We saw a little bit of that flavor in the TV series. And to bring it in to the film, I think, was a really, really smart idea that just emphasized her fangirl nature from the very beginning, but in a really cool, fun way. Um, I think they mostly did a good job of sort of catching audiences up who may not have watched WandaVision and Miss Marvel with Miss Marvel, I think it's fairly easy to do that. Um, and as I said, I think they did that very well right from the jump. With Monica Rambeau, I feel like that line that she has about having gone into a hex to get her powers was a little bit clunky, but it went down easier because a, a really fun joke sort of is the button to that scene because at that point... Kamala has gone to places that nobody knows. And so the mother is like, I'm very happy for you. Where's my daughter? Which did, which did, which did make me laugh. Um, so yeah, and the story itself, I like the simplicity. I feel like it was the gateway to what this film does best, which is the interplay between those three heroines. Um, and Kamala and her place within that dynamic is she is the glue for me of this film. She is the reason why, even though there's animosity between Monica and Carol, there's less sniping between those two characters, purely because Kamala Khan is there and she looks up to them and she wants them to sort of reconcile immediately. There's one beautiful scene where, um, through some science, you know, Marvel tech gobbledygook, they are all sort of reliving sort of flashbacks and memories at the same time. And once that... Once they come out of that, uh, Monica Rambeau is a bit shaken because she's relived the death of her mother, which we saw, in, which we've seen in WandaVision. If Kamala Khan isn't there in that scene, it's a whole different tone, and there's a whole lot of sniping, and there's a lot of anger. I think that would that would be the driving force of that scene. 
because Kamala is there, there's hugs, there's reconciliation, let's, let's see if we can work it. There's that type of buy that I think works wonders for the story and the character because she's just so wholesome and has such a fun vibe and wants what's best for everybody. And I just, I, mm. she, she, she for me was the MVP of this film. I thought she was great. Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, what this what this film really understood for me is, and I think it's it, it's um, it, it's the strength of every superhero character story. Mm. Yeah. The power is not in their abilities. The power of the character is not their abilities. It's about their real identity, their mm-hmm. their human civilian alter ego. You know, everyone knows it's not about Spider Man. It's about Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. You know, it's ha- if you can get those right and that dynamic right. You know, whatever they do with the zoomies, as uh, Clarice says, <laughs> but it's like that doesn't really matter. It's about the human aspect. And I think you know this. The way this played out, it kind of reminded me of Thor, um, in the sense of the family dynamics. Certainly between, um, obviously, the family that is the Marvels. But I really also enjoyed the kind of um, how much the family is involved. You know, it's the interesting because in the Khans, because in a way, you know, we just saw with Blue Beetle, one thing that's really quite endearing about that film was how much the family are involved. And having that specific immigrant experience, like obviously this is Pakistani, Muslim, American, that was Latino, like Mexican, Latino. Like the, having those in it brought a kind of, kept everything grounded for me as much as it shot off into the cosmic cosmos mm-hmm. right that mm-hmm. was really worked so it it has this balance of like we're gonna do the most zany things you think and again someone who's I, this is very much inspired by as nia says the uh kelly sue mcconic run of captain marvel mm-hmm. um so many things about it was on the page that we see on screen that the mm-hmm. kind of the planet where everyone uh, the native tongue yeah. is song yeah. you know there's a whole flirking narrative that is mm-hmm. really cool mm-hmm. um and i think that really worked and i think yeah i think they it, it's in a way i i kind of like i like this more than i like thor love and thunder oh by far it's not even because close. i because i think you're right taika is such a kind of irreverent sort of kind of very specific humor mm-hmm. and there isn't much room I don't know that he doesn't, you know, everyone says James Gunn's like that, but like, I think actually Tiger is worse for let's yeah. make everything a joke. Like exactly. it's funny, but it doesn't, it doesn't cut you deep. Whereas yeah. in this, there are just really tough moments and kind of living up to the ideal. What does it mean to be a superhero? What does it mean to be a hero? Mm-hmm. A hero worship kind of, uh, yeah, that kind of individual versus a team, you know, that was kind of a big thing in Black Widow as well. So it's not like you haven't, you know, yeah, she it's was like, oh, I'll do things on my own. Yeah. It's a beautiful line by Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie. I guess we can say that she's in because they're the whole trailer that revealed it. Um, but you can stand tall without standing alone, uh, which mm. I thought, thought was brilliant, beautifully delivered. And I think you're totally right with Taika and comparing it to this film. With Taika, I think he's a very talented filmmaker, but I look at Hunt for the World of People, which is for me still his best film. And the balance between humor and pathos in that film i think is perfectly calibrated in both thor ragnarok and to a much worse extent thor love and thunder that balance is totally out of whack here yes you get the humor but you also get the pathos and in terms of what you're saying about some of the wild swings this story story takes i really love that i'm not sure every audience member is going to go with it because there are wild swings um, but I appreciated that Nia went for that. And I also appreciated that this film really leans into the fact that 
Captain Marvel is a space traveler. She's going to other planets. She has a reputation universe-wide. Mm-hmm. And you really get a sense of that. In She's kind film. of a big deal. She's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah. really, I really like that the film leaned into that. It's good. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to uh, talk, let's talk a bit about Darben, the villain. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I like the villain because, and also I suppose, you know, it's hard not to talk, it's hard to talk about this film and in the current like world context and not see like, see how much, um, you know, <laughs> the Kree and the Skrulls and refugees. Mm. And then, you know, what, how do you, I think violence begets violence and like, mm-hmm. and, and the kind of responsibility when we use war and violence and destruction what does that create? What does that build? Um, and obviously, you know, okay, it's not obviously talking about Palestine, Israel, but it's, it was quite, so there were some scenes in that I will say were quite uh, difficult to watch if you've been seeing any of the footage outside coming out of Gaza. Um, mm. Certainly in one scene that I saw, I will just warn people if anyone's kind of slightly affected, there is a quite um, harrowing sequence where mm-hmm. there's a lot of rubble. Um mm. I kind of wish, uh, I also love the fact that it was clearly shot in the UK. <laughs> How many British actors were it? Like, I was yeah. like, a who's who's from, you know, I love. Did you see the two actors who were in um, I Hate Susie? Leila Fassad and uh, the guy who's also in, uh, what's it called? What's it? Well, it was called Total, to, it was called originally called Total um, Scrotal Recall, but they changed it to Lovesick. That's it. Um, okay. But um, I, I found with Zowie, I think she did a good job. I kind of liked her, uh, the kind of theatricality of it, the Shakespeare, you know, again, that's what reminds me of Thor. It's a bit kind of <laughs> theatrical. She kind of quivers a lot. I like the way of delivery. I would have liked um, a little bit more maybe of her in the sense of the journey to get there. Um, yeah. But also it's a very similar villain to, in a way, like, like in Thor Love and Thunder, you know? That's the difficulty. Well, I mean, because, you know, how does someone become a villain? How does someone become an antagonist? But I would say that she's got a point. She's got a little, you kind of think, well, she's got a bit of a point for wanting Mm -hmm. to do that. And again, it's kind of, where do you start? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Where do you start the story? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I I get what you mean. I'd not sort of thought of that Thor Love and Thunder comp, but I think it's a very good one. Yeah, I I would have liked more as well. There's because because she does have a point, and we get it. It feels like we get the 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 sort of the cliff notes of what Darben is about, rather than sort of really diving deep under the surface. Uh, and I feel like if this film was in less of a rush at times and just allowed us to marinate in certain storylines and themes and characters, we might have gotten that. I think it would have been interesting if we actually see more of the connection that she has with her people mm-hmm. um, and how that has evolved over the years. I feel like that is something that would have really helped us get under the skin of the character more than we get to in this film. Um before we get into spoilers, I think we should do it soon because uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot to talk about. Um, I just want to say something about Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny seeing him in Mar- Captain Marvel films versus everything else. He's like a little soft little pussycat in these films. <laughs> there's something about maybe it's like the feminine energy or something, but it's so, <laughs> but I, I will say I like it, but it's also quite jarring considering yes. where we last saw him. Like, mm-hmm. 
it 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 seems he's like too Uncle Nick, you know. Mm. I agree, but I also think that Secret Invasion is the worst thing that the MCU has ever done. So, if you want to do what you want to do to you know erase that from my memory and not even call back to it in any sort of way, from your demeanor to the dialogue, then that is okay with me. I'll give, I'll let you off on this occasion because that show was mm. so awful. Um, mm. But yeah, I like that we get to see more of a humorous side to Nick Fury in these films. And I like that we also get to see a more humorous side to Carol Danvers in this in this film. Uh, we didn't get to see much of that in either Endgame or Captain Marvel. Um, I do think, I don't, I, also wild to me is that I kind of disagree with that assessment. Mm. I think she's just not got the obvious humor because one of the big things that uh, Yomrog says to her, it's like, you can't be funny. She's always funny with like, she always gets told off for making little jokes and stuff. I don't really understand this thing that she's super serious, certainly in the, after the blip. But in that film, she's literally told off, you make too many jokes. You're not, you know what I mean? All these mm. things. And then when she's with, Samuel Jackson, she's just got that quite sharp, sarcastic humor. And I think it's just a different version of the humor. So I don't Mm. see, I think even in this, she's got that one. She's just quite direct. Maybe I like that. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably that early scene that she has with Nick Fury um, about uh, sort of, as as they sort of figure out the entanglement and what's going on and the dialogue, the back and forth that they have is really, really fun. as well. So, oh, we should yeah. talk about fight sequences as well. We that first fight, fight sequence and of course part of the 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 issue they face is that they keep on swapping locations mm-hmm. uh every time they use their power and I think this is one of the funnest uh uh fight choreography kind of efforts in the MCU I've seen in a, in a while. Mm-hmm. Um I really loved the editing. It was very sharp. It had a lot of humor. I think they balanced it and also the moves. I loved how each each hero had their own individual style. I mean, like, Miss Marvel has come a long way. Yes, she has. <laughs> yeah, no, I really, really like that. Miss Marvel, as you say, has really leveled up. Uh, and that was cool to see. Um, and we finally get to see a big, in big in fists. That's what I'm so happy about. Because everyone's, I am really annoyed about they changed her kind of origin story. Yeah, she's a mutant. We'll get into that a bit. Yeah, but yeah, well, we'll talk about it. But um, yeah, I did like the way she does that. I kind of need her to say in big and more though. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen from this version of Miss Marvel, unfortunately. Um, but we shall see. We shall so see. one of the biggest things in Captain Marvel was like, the, I mean, in Marvel films is a needle job. I know people mm-hmm. didn't like the No Doubt, I'm Just a Girl, but I love that. Uh, there was a, re- I really like the MIA. I love that Miss uh, Marvel listens to MIA. Yeah. There's an amazing, we won't say it. I didn't put it as the main intro song because I was like, I'm not ruining it for anyone. <laughs> There's a great needle drop, probably one of the best in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that leads us in nicely to our second interview, right? Yes, so I got to chat with the great Laura Kaufman, uh, composer extraordinaire. Uh, she, this is not her first Marvel rodeo. She composed the What If uh, animated series, and she also composed Miss Marvel. Um, so I actually asked a little bit about that because there are some riffs from the Miss Marvel show that make it to this film. Um, Initially, I was disappointed that Pinar Toprak's Captain Marvel theme, which is fantastic and is reused actually in Avengers Endgame, is nowhere to be heard in the Marvels. I asked Laura Cartman why, and here 
is her answer, along with many other answers. Enjoy the interview. Hello, Laura. Pleasure to meet you. <laughs> Pleasure to see you again. Yes. I've, I've you, interviewed you before. We did meet, didn't we? <laughs> Yep, I interviewed you for What If for that, Composer Magazine. And yes, I remember. I remember completely. And I and your name sounded familiar to me. Yes, it's good yeah. to see you. This is not your first Marvel rodeo. No. Um, and given all your history scoring MCU projects, what was the starting point for the Marvels for you? You know, I think the starting point with any Marvel project is the theme. You've got to come. Mm. And Nia wanted a new theme for this movie. She didn't think of it as mm. a sequel to anything. It's a mm. unique piece, right? It's about the collaboration of these three protagonists. And so she wanted something that really embodied and embraced that collaboration. So that was the first thing, was really coming up with what that theme was and getting mm. the right motions in it, the right movement in it, and all the things that go into making, you know, hopefully an iconic MCU theme. Mm -hmm. Was it? That's so interesting to me because there's this school of thought, um, and I think about sort of the, the Marvel themes that have really stuck with me. Um, and part of it is that sort of repetition that we've gotten from repeat projects. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I... So, so what, what would you say to those people who would who would be hoping to hear a little bit of Pinar Top Fat's Captain Marvel theme? And then as a follow-up to that, do you still sort of have some continuity? Because I've I've listened to the score on its lonesome, and I think I hear some notes of your Miss Marvel theme coming through at various points. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about that and also Pinar. The Marvel yeah. yeah, no, I'm happy to. I Listen, I love Pinar's theme. I love her work mm -hmm. on the first movie. And I've mm -hmm. quoted from it in What If. But this movie mm -hmm. is not Captain Marvel 2. And I think that that mm -hmm. is what's really, really important to understand. It's its own mm -hmm. thing. So it's if you think about the connectivity, think about Captain America and the Avengers. So you might have mm -hmm. Captain America in the Avengers, but the Avengers has their own theme. So mm -hmm. that's what this is. It's a new theme. And 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 that's what that's what it's meant to do because it's a standalone a standalone project for various mm -hmm. reasons that will become apparent to you when you see the whole project. There are little mm -hmm. quotations um, from the Ms. Marvel theme, and it connects in ways that I won't reveal quite yet. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> but but that's that's really the thing. I think I think in terms of connecting themes to projects. I think one of the things that you look for in a Marvel project, because, you know, both What If and Ms. Marvel were from scratch, right? They were, mm -hmm. <clears throat> the, the, the What If theme was a new theme for the watcher. And even though I draw from other themes because of the nature of what that project is, um, the watcher mm -hmm. theme and all the music from Ms. Marvel was start from scratch, you know, uh, coming from, and in fact, I think I did quote, um, Captain Marvel and Ms. Marvel at one point, you know, because yeah. she fans <laughs> on her. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, that really the, the task is to come up with a singable two to four bar phrase that you can mm -hmm. hang on to, that can go through the paces um, of the score, that can go through the paces of the movie, that can become, you know, 
magical, mournful, action-based, you know, all the things that a score has to do, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what you're looking for. And then, you know, everything else that goes into and around it is what, what makes each and every score in the MCU unique, I think. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, talk about the heroines and that trio coming together and that theme. Where did you start with when it came to the theme of the villain of the piece? Yes, well... Yes, Darben is one of my favorite um, favorite people. I think <clears throat> you saw a little bit of the piece. I, I think there's something about. Well, let me let me back up a bit. Mm. I think with certain characters, they dance on screen. Mm. You know, the way that they move is something that you play with. She's one of those. She moves in a certain way that um, I've described it as she kind of slithers. You know, mm. she's she's almost jazzy in a way. You know, there's something like super cool about her. And, you know, obviously she's a villain, but she's also got, you know, other reasons for doing things. So mm -hmm. <clears throat> I really wanted to create something for her that was unique. Um, so I started out with... Uh, a, a wonderful musician who works in my studio. Her name is Elena, Elena Penderhues. She is a great jazz flute player, and she tours with Herbie Hancock and Terry Lynn Carrington, uh, you know, Common. I mean, she's really an A-list jazz player. And I wrote a theme uh, that used a lot of breath because I think there's a lot of breath in her performance as well. Mm -hmm. She breathes heavily. She breathes in. And there's a lot of like vocal utterances. Breath became very, very important. So I started with Elena. And then when we recorded it, I had a section of seven flute players, including contra bass flute, which is this massive instrument that you actually have to stand up to play and take these wow. massive breaths to blow mm. into. So, you know, her theme, the ba -do -da, da -da -da -ba -yo, you know, it's got a kind of a jazzy, slithery feel to it. And then, of course, it starts to move in, in a rhythm. You know, the ya ba -dee da ba -dee da you know, so it kind of starts to slither around you know I don't know why that's the way I saw her and it, when mm. I played it for Nia I, I think she she felt that it captured the um, Darben perfectly I mean it was one of the first things that she loved right out of the gate you know when I've spoken to other composers before they talked to me a little bit about how their musical upbringing is reflected in the work that they do mm -hmm. and I wanted to discuss that with you in terms of bringing all your musical history musical upbringing to bear I know you have a love of classical opera and plays. And to me, that feels like it comes into play a little bit with the choral work that you have yeah. in this film. Can you talk about bringing your musical upbringing to bear on a film like The Marvels? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about. You know, we just talked about Darben's theme. And I grew up mm. playing jazz and singing as well as classical music. So that is a language that's really comfortable for me. Um, I don't know that a lot of people will perceive that music as jazz, uh, but in my heart and mind it is. Um, I grew up listening and studying classical music very intently, very intensively. Mm -hmm. um, I studied harmony, I studied counterpoint. Um, I sang opera as well as jazz. So I'm very familiar with 
opera repertoire with 20th century music. I later became very familiar with film scores that drew from kind of mid-century music. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's really, really a big part of my musical aesthetic as kind of mid-century modernism. Um, there's one cue, which, uh, and I don't know if anybody will notice, but it kind of goes from minimalism to modernism during the space mm -hmm. of one cue. And I had a lot of fun mm -hmm. with that one, just like secret private mm -hmm. jokes to myself. Um, I think <laughs> in this film, oh my God, there are a lot of musical influences. There's Jerry Goldsmith, there's Benjamin Britten, uh, there's uh, 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 Rayvon Williams, there's mm -hmm. uh, Stravinsky, um, there's Alan Silvestri, uh, Michael Giacchino, there's, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know, there's Leonard Bernstein. So <laughs> there's a lot, a, a lot of different people that have, you know, that sit in my mind and that kind of come out in different ways. Mm, I love that. You mentioned Mr. Michael Giacchino there, mm -hmm. and that leads you on perfectly to my next question, because I got to speak to him uh, not long ago. And one quote he said really stuck with me. He said, as a composer, every note I write is my best guess. Mm. And assuming that you agree with that, what's the difference between a guess that you discard and a guess that you move forward with? Not much. I mean, it, it, the guess that you discard is sometimes finds its way someplace else. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a funny thing about music. It's like, <clears throat> I think that anything that I write that I turn over to listen, you know, to a client, to a director, mm -hmm. anybody to listen to, it's something that I, that I want to present, but it's not always going to work for them. You know, mm -hmm. it may live someplace else. It, 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 it might be better for another project. Um, and that often is the case. But I think mm -hmm. what Michael's saying, it's your best guess because you're taking a non-musical instruction, you know, and you're, you're, transliterating that into music, right? So you're saying, mm -hmm. well, I want something heroic. Okay, well, what does that mean? You know, uh, does that mean a perfect, a perfect fifth? Or, you know, John Williams, Superman, you know, the music actually leaps up higher, further, faster. It goes mm -hmm. up, you know, Ms. Marvel, Sana Amanat came in and made this, made this gesture, bum, 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 mm -hmm. bum. And so it was like, da-da-da, mm -hmm. da-da-da, you know? Mm -hmm. I literally mm -hmm. followed her hand gesture to create a theme that she loved. So mm -hmm. it's like, but that's a guess, right? It could be, mm -hmm. bop, you know, I don't know, anyway. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, think, I think that what he's saying is that you have, to, you have to be a translator as an actor has to translate a, a direction from a director into mm -hmm. a vocal and physical gesture right mm -hmm. and yeah. that's what our that's what the gig is or or you know makeup i mean you know they have to figure mm -hmm. out a character arc i had a makeup artist tell me that she was working on a film um with somebody who was really nervous and so she destroyed all the cuticles on their hands you wow. know the pe people in the movie business are doing deep conceptual work in every mm -hmm. single department and i think on this film, that was absolutely the case. We talked mm -hmm. a lot about characters. We talked a lot about motivations. We talked mm -hmm. about the dark sides of heroes and the heroic sides of villains, you know? Like mm -hmm. we really, that's what this film is about. And that those are all the shades that I think exist in the score. Mm -hmm. 
I love that answer. Um, in preparation for this interview, I was going through your IMDb page. I'm not sure if you know this, but your earliest credit is that you composed apparently The Hunchback of Notre Dame in 1923. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not that old. I mean, you know, really, no, no. That's it, what it, your IMDb uh, page says. I'm no, just no, no, no. Here. Okay, we need to fix that. So basically, Nora Crow Rosenbaum is my wife, and I co-composed Universal, re-released that. Um, I think it was during the pandemic. It was like 20... 20. So we composed a new score to a re-released version of The Hunchback of oh. Notre Dame. But no, 1923, uh, uh, yeah, I think I would be the best looking like 100-year-old, right, that you have here. It's like, yeah, I'm going to keep going. I hope, I, hope, I, I hope you interview me when I'm 100 and I'm working on my next film, or at least skiing or fencing. Honestly, make it so. Yeah, I'm I want to so make it there. so. Book yeah, it I... right now. No. Um, but, but you have been composing. Uh, it's quite a jump. There's 1923 and then 1989 is yes. the next credit. Yes. <laughs> 1989 <laughs> would be my first credit. Thank you very much. Yeah. So you've been composing for TV and film since 1989. Yeah. Technology has evolved a lot yeah. since then. Yeah. How have the advancements of technology helped your creativity as a composer? Well, I'll tell you something, a funny story. It was actually technology that drew me to film composition. And um, I was um, a fellow at the first iteration of the Sundance Labs. And at that point, that was like 1988, literally the year before I got my first credit, um, <clears throat> I had never, like, touched a computer. I mean, you know, like, mm -hmm. people would type my papers, you know? I mean, that, that was the world I grew up in, right? And mm -hmm. I saw MIDI and work for the first time, and to me that felt like the 21st century. That felt like there was room for me in that world. You know, I was working in a world where all the composers that I looked at were white men. And there was, I felt that there wasn't, I didn't know where to go. You know, I didn't know where there could be a place that I could fit. And when I saw this interaction of computers and, you know, and synthesizers for the first time, I thought, that's where I'm going. And so it was technology that drew me in. And so I've always been pretty good at it. I'm not the best and I'm not the worst, but I have embraced it and, and continue to embrace and involve, evolve as it goes along. Um, I work as my, my doll, I'll tell you this since you, you know, since you write for composers magazines an awful lot, my digital mm. audio workstation is Pro Tools. And the reason why it's that is because I love to record and process sound as I go. So we were talking about the Darben theme. The, mm. uh, there's, there are no synthesizers in the Marvels. Every mm. sound that you hear, even the sounds that sound like synthesizers, evolved from some sort of human-made sound that has been highly processed and evolved. And that's something that I really enjoy doing. I love that. And that is the I first time I've said that in an interview in two days. Oh. Yeah, yes. so there you go. You, you got it first. <laughs> well, following up from that, I am fascinated to know your answer to this because I recently read about uh, a thing that Gareth Edwards, the creator, the director of The Creator, tried to do before hiring Hans Zimmer, which is like make an AI score. Oh, really? Um, and I, yeah. Um, and he went to Hans Zimmer, and I think Hans said it's a 7 out of 10 in terms of the accuracy to me. And then obviously Hans Zimmer went and did the score. 
given what you're saying about embracing all this new technology, do you think there's a place for AI in composing? You know, I have long thought, probably not for movies, but you know where I think there might be? In video games. Mm. And I've long thought that if you could have a computer, a com I'm sorry, if you could have a composer, basically let's say you start a video game and you have a composer program everything. Like I could tell you everything about the Marvel score. I could tell you the harmonic progressions, the melodic progressions, processing the parts of the Darben theme or the Marvel's theme of Chosen Family theme. If mm -hmm. I were to put all of that info and I were to really program it, the thing about video games is you need tons of music, right? Mm -hmm. There, You know, people play in these places for hours and hours and hours and hours. So just think about if you were to create a generative score that was based in the kind of an initial theme or group of themes that the composer programmed, so it was bespoke for every video game, but was able to generate um, beyond that, I think that that might be really interesting and something that I would be interested in playing with. Mm, you know, it doesn't scare me because of the way I write. Mm. I, I, it's intense, the way that I write music, and it's pretty um, schooled and um, deeply thought. I, I, I could be wrong, you know, I, I, I'm very likely maybe wrong, um, but yeah, let's see, let's see, you know, let's see. It's definitely here to stay, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Laura Kaufman, thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. It's so you. great to see you again. And next time I'm yes. in the UK, we are absolutely going to make it happen. And it may be let's sooner than you think. Let's do it. Okay. I also want to talk to you about your American fiction. Yes. Story, I watched that Come, film the other day and it's awesome. Come back and let's talk about American fiction. I may pop back there for a screening. So we'll see what Fantastic. happens. Fantastic. Okay, great. Cool. Thanks again. Thanks, Laura. Okay, it's time for our hot take. Hot take. I did that last week, didn't I? Yes, you did. <laughs> but this is actually really relevant this time. It really is. Um, yeah. Really, really relevant. Uh, actually, it was relevant last week because we did Marvel. It's just X-Men 97 is always relevant. <laughs> okay, so uh, let's talk about that that first post-credit scene. Uh, well, mid-credit scene, really, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, we get. Uh, uh, what did you think about it? Obviously, if you're here, this is this is spoilers. Mm -hmm. Sorry, we already said that we do spoilers. This is spoilers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, leave now if you don't want to hear it. But mm -hmm. we see Teona wake up, and oh my god, it's it's Maria Rambo, but she's yeah. Photon or Captain Marvel, probably Captain Marvel. Actually, is she? She is actually the name that she's given is binary. Not that Binary. I heard that line because I literally went, "What?" <laughs> you oh, probably, really? Actually, you know what? That that actually, when I was watching it, it was really it was it's one of those things where people cheer and you're like, "Shut the fuck up!" Yeah. I want to hear the dialogue. <laughs> but I wish I had the subtitles on. Yeah. Um, okay, so she's binary. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and and then we see uh, Beast, which is Kelsey Grammer's version. Yes. Um, uh, I did you know? Did I wonder if you noticed this? Um, mm -hmm. 
his beast makeup look far closer to the animation than the original. Yeah. And I'm so happy they did that. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kelsey Grammer's beast always had really, really great uh, hair and makeup. Um, the sort of Nicholas Holt beast got progressively worse in that department. But yeah, now I was really, really excited to see that. Uh, I also think, uh, before I forget to mention, Teona Paris in that scene is absolutely phenomenal. The amount of emotions that she has to flip through in such a short amount of time. Initially, it's shock, then confusion, then joy mixed with sadness, then more shock. And all of it is just so plain to see and so convincing and so emotional. I thought she was absolutely phenomenal mm-hmm. in that sequence. Um, but I will I say all of this to say, I don't think we're going to be spending much time with the version with, with, with these characters that we've just met. Cause I think that basically this is one of many realities that is going to have an incursion with many other realities uh, in the near future as we accelerate mm. towards Avengers secret wars. So I don't think this is X-Men proper yet, uh, but I think this is also quite smart on Marvel's part because the only person in our main MCU who really knows of the oblivion that is on our doorstep really is Dr. Strange. And yeah. he's off with Charlize Theron doing God knows what as Charlize Theron's clear. So through um, my favorite character to play as in Lego Marvel Superheroes 2. <laughs> awesome. So through um, Monica Rambeau, we're going to get like a sort of a ground level view of what this incursion looks like. And hopefully when she makes her way back to the main MCU, she can sort of give everyone the 411 about what's coming. I think it's really, really smart. I love the fact they were like, Charles. Everyone's like, Charles, we know who he is. (laughs) Um, I love the fact that we get Lashana Lynch, who continues in this franchise, because I think she's a great character. And again, it's Mm -hmm. kind of like the, the beauty of having... You know, I will say one of the perks of having a multiverse mm-hmm. is that we get different versions of the same character uh, in a way, because obviously Captain Marvel was originally Monica Rambo, Maria Rambo, Monica Rambo, right? That was the original Captain Marvel, female Captain Marvel. What, in the comics? Yeah. There's, there's Marvel, who is the Captain yeah. Marvel, the mm-hmm. male. And actually, before. Uh, before Carol Danvers became her, it was actually, it's one of the Rambo, it's Monica or Maria mm. Rambo, but they were, and actually what you see in the, um, what you see in the, um, the credit scene. Uh, the, no, if you see in the uh, the costumes that she gets given when she's on Atlanta, yeah. that one with the thing, that's the mm. original, that's the original costume for the character. Mm. I believe it is. It could be that or Photon, but there's a whole thing. But black right. and white was the original thing mm. for it. Right. Um, by the way, those costumes and the dress that Carol Danvers wears at one point, stunning. Absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um, yeah. Beautiful, I loved beautiful. it. I love that. I love that bit. I love that they gave, uh, I love that Kamala had like, um, could use her scarf a bit more. Mm, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, but to about that, right. What have I been saying? For literally <laughs> like two uh. Years. <laughs> what this is all building towards. What was question? I saying? Can I ask this uh, question? Amon, at the front. You, Hannah Ines Flint, were saying, do the young Avengers. 
why am I just like, like a psychic? Like I'm a seer. <laughs> like I'm like, this is what they're going to do. I knew it. I knew it. And I love it because, right, what we've got here, we've got, and that scene where she does, oh God, it was perfect. Mm. It was just, and it, it, it felt exactly like the Young Avengers comic books. Exactly how mm. that moment would play out. Mm. It felt so, um, Oh, it was just, yeah, the self-referentialness of it, the silliness mm. of it, like, but I, also, again, these are kids, and I just love yeah. it. it was like, we're, we're teens, and it was like, we're yeah. kid, kid superheroes. She's like, I'm 23. <laughs> <laughs> I do so, yeah. have questions about how Kamala, or how much Kamala knows about the whole Nick Fury, Iron Man version of that, uh, because <laughs> obviously they're ripping on that in a big way, but I, I can sort of, you know, I'm not going to harp on too much about that, but it's really, really cool. I'm not sure if, Kamala Khan is a leadership material yet, but I do think that Iman Valeni is a star and is excellent casting for that role. So if they want to sort of put her in more more of the forefront, that is good. I'm going to let Hannah speak because she's clutching her face right now. This is part of the storyline. It's how you become a leader and hero when she's ready for it yet. And it's like they're kids and they learn how to do it. And that's why it's so good because she's so enthusiastic and all that. But then it's kind of like she learns in this film that it's not all about saving the day. You have to make tough choices. So mm-hmm. I think what's great about the Young Avengers is that it's they're learning how to they're growing up. It, they're all coming of age stories. Like, how do you be the best version of yourself? And when you've got kids doing it, that's even more, the stakes are even higher, you know, mm-hmm. because they haven't got the world experience. Mm-hmm. It's just, I found that to be, uh, yeah, I'm excited. And so I guess who we think is going to be in the lineup. Now, so we've got, well, Kamala. I come out later, go on. So you've got Kamala, you've got Kate Bishop. Kate uh, Bishop. <laughs> you have, uh, Patriot, who is yeah, uh, who who saw in Falcon and Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. you have Ant Man's kid, Cassie. Ha- Cassie. What's she you- called? What's her? She called Little Ant. <laughs> I think uh, his aunt. <laughs> no, <that's> a- <laughs> I think her name is Stature, but I don't. That's know if she's it. Been, that's she's it. Yes, yes. Um, so there's that. You have Hulk's kid um, that we saw. Oh She-Hulk. my god! Yeah. Uh, you have America Chavez, who's in Kamal Taj mm. right now, training. You have Thor's sort of kid uh, from Thor: Love and Thunder as well. Yeah, I, she's it's it's she's love though, isn't she? That's what she's called, yeah. and he's Thunder. Yeah. Um, we've also got what I think is going to happen is to bring it all together with like the Doctor Strange. We've got mm-hmm. um, what's her face's kids. Um, oh, Wiccan, Maximoff's Wiccan Witch, and yeah, Wiccan and what's this fast kid's name? What's his name again? Speedster. Something like that. I can't remember yet. Whiz? I can't remember, but whatever it is. Basically, Quicksilver 2.0. And, right, can I just throw this out there? What I... Considering the end of Spider-Man, No Way Home, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man is now cut off. He's got... No one knows who he is. He's basically sacrificed that type of thing. This is the perfect way to be like, right, come and do Young Avengers. Mm. Perfect. Perfect way in. So that's going to be... I think that could be going. And also... As we know, Kang was supposed to be the big bad. Now, mm. if they've established the Young Avengers, Iron Lad is a big part of of, of that narrative mm-hmm. because of who he grows up to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and obviously that relationship with Cassie. So I actually do think that this could be leading to it. But also, um, I've learned with Marvel that maybe they say things, like they said they're doing secret evasion and then they did that. Um, mm. They said they were going to do like civil war and then... They said, they said they were going to do Serpent Society and then they flipped it to Civil War. Um, 
so, so yeah. yeah. No, they, yeah. They, they, well, they... no, but I mean, I, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, let me just go about that. Civil yeah, sure. War, the, the, the comic, I'm saying what the comic versions oh, of Oh, I gotcha. The Civil oh. War is just so, it, I'm, I'm so sorry to, I know it's one of your favorite films hmm. of the MCU, yeah. but it's, it pales in comparison to Civil War, what we get in the comic book, the detail and stuff like that. It was a yeah. very, and I, and I, because of the actors paying actors, all these things, you know, getting everyone involved, you have to really streamline it. And I think that's, that's what sometimes the potency of these films don't really capture what we get on the page because you have literally whatever you write, whatever you draw. Whereas this, you actually have humans to deal with and um, budgets and stuff like that. So um, I'm not holding my breath for an amazing big young Avengers thing, but if they're going to do another Avengers movie, it seems to me that that's the one they're aiming for, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, that could be really, really fun. Given what's just happened with the Loki season two finale, um, I'm very interested to I'm very interested to see if Marvel stick on the Kang sort of storyline because they've given themselves an out, basically, uh, from that episode. We could happily pivot to Doctor Doom or Beyonder or someone else. Uh, and they could also recast. Yeah. Look, Sylvie, recast. Sylvie's a Loki. Sylvie's yeah. a Loki, you know? Evan mm-hmm. Peters came in and did a quick, you know, Quicksilver. No, he did the... What was he? He, was, he came in and they thought he was Quicksilver, but he wasn't. He was actually just like a dude. Yeah. There was something yeah. about that. But basically, mm-hmm. you know, we had Captain Marvel played by Lashana Lynch and Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. right? You can mm-hmm. change the character. And to be honest, I, and you know, Terrence Howard, <laughs> thank yeah. you for your service for that one movie. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, was there anything else you want to jump, uh, mention before we kind of finish up? Uh, any spoiler stuff? Uh, I've really, just the way the, uh, sort of final battle played out. I do think Darben's death was a little bit meh, but in terms of the Monica Rambeau of it all and how that fitted into the finale in terms of how things were ultimately resolved, I thought that was done really, really well. Um, mm. Yeah, so, I think yeah. it's really difficult because I kind of wanted a bit more of like Kamala Khan's lore in it, yeah. but it worked without it. But I suppose just with the bracelet stuff, the quantum bands, could, which is a, yeah. a, a thing from the comics. Uh, the fact, yeah. the fact, I mean, the bangers have always been there, but it's never been called quantum bands until yeah. this movie. I think also, I will say this, as much as there's some moments of like, this is the science part, I do think it was really good how Kamala is there to be like us. And also you've got kids watching this. So I think it's like, mm-hmm. sorry, in, in English, like, please tell me. So I think that mm-hmm. was interesting. And also we can say it now. That memories needle drop was insane. <laughs> I love that they took that flirking yeah. kit kitten things from the page mm-hmm. it was perfect it was yeah. so so good yeah no, that was a, it was a it was a wild swing uh, but i'm glad that nia sort of went for it that way we need we need more of that in these films um, yeah, actually, yeah exactly well thank you for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is safest for you please subscribe rate and review the podcast it makes a difference and tweet us any questions or hot take at fade black pod on twitter akx uh, you can catch me on Instagram and letterbox at Hannah Ines Flint. I am at Amon Woman on Twitter, Instagram. I'm anonymous on Letterboxd, I think. Um, I really need to update my my <laughs> viewing habits there and everything else. But yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's very, that's very, what's the line from thingy? It's like, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Now, where is my daughter? This is the end of the show. Farewell. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black. Mm-hmm.